Um, have you ever heard the story about the mother who called her son every Sunday morning and said, get up and go to church? And the son responded on the phone by saying, don't call me, stop calling me, I don't want to go to church. And the mother says, oh, you're going to go to church this morning, all right. And I'm going to give you three reasons why you're going to go to church. One, because Christ created the church. Two, because it will be good for you. And three, you're the pastor of the church. You have to go. (laughs) Well, beginning this morning, we are going to spend some time thinking about the vows that we took uh, when we joined the United Methodist Church. Or perhaps if you've not yet joined the United Methodist Church, but you're considering it, these are the vows that we will ask you to take, uh, among others, when you join the United Methodist Church. And and that is that to faithfully uh, support the ministries of the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. And a few years ago, I don't recall how many years ago, we added witness to that. So when you unite with the United Methodist Church, we ask you, do you commit to faithfully support the ministries of the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And if you've already joined the United Methodist Church, it's not like that's the last time you ever think about it. Because every time somebody else joins the United Methodist Church and or unites with a particular church in the United Methodist faith... Everybody in the congregation has an opportunity to reaffirm the commitment, the promises that you made. And so this afternoon, uh, we're going to have some two ladies join the church. And we'll once again, the rest of us, get to reaffirm our commitment to support the church with our prayers, presence, gifts, and service. And so we're going to spend five weeks looking at each one of those elements for the next five weeks. And as we begin this, I I wonder, as you've just heard those five things named, how well do you think you're doing at supporting the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? I spent some time thinking about that this last week, and I felt like I was doing a pretty good job in those five areas. And, and you might be thinking, well, I hope so. You're the pastor of the church. If you're not doing it, I don't know who else is going to do it. But as I thought about it, you know, even before I became a pastor, I took these vows very seriously. I, I wasn't raised in the United Methodist Church. And so when I decided to become a United Methodist, it was, it was a, a very heartfelt, prayerful, and thoughtful decision And I wanted to make sure that I could honor the commitment that I was making before God and that community of faith. And and so I I do recognize, however, that I could always improve. And and maybe you feel the same way. I, I could spend more time in prayer than I'm currently spending in prayer. And I could look for more opportunities and more places to serve the Lord. And I could probably give more sacrificially than I'm giving now. And I could probably do a much better job of witnessing to my faith, especially to and with people that are outside the walls of this church. Just in my daily life, I could do a better job of witnessing to my faith. But I'm going to confess something to you. As I thought about the five Uh, promises that we make and that we're studying over the next five weeks, 
I was tempted to think that being present would be the easiest one out of the bunch. I mean, after all, you just got to show up, right? Um, and, and we make it even easier today than we've ever made it before. You know, there was a time whenever you came to church, and I bet it was true even of St. Mark's United Methodist Church, where you couldn't come into the sanctuary unless you had on a suit and tie or a very nicely pressed dress. There was a time where if you walked in and you weren't wearing a nice dress or a coat and tie, you might be looked at funny and maybe even asked to leave. But nowadays, we really do embrace and and practice just come as you are. Uh, What you're wearing is not as important as just coming and being present uh, in worship, in the worship of God and in the fellowship with other people. And there was a time when worship in the Methodist church looked pretty much the same regardless of where you went. Uh, A lot of high church liturgy, a lot of people standing up, you know, prim and proper. And you didn't tell jokes from the pulpit, which meant I could have never been a pastor. I mean, it was just this very traditional style of worship. But nowadays, there are lots of different styles of worship for people. You, you can find churches that have drums and guitars and, and all sorts of instrumentation. Or you can find churches that are still very high church, liturgical churches. And you can find churches like ours that attempt to blend, attempt to blend those things together. So you don't have to just go to one particular style of worship. You get a choice in many cases. And then um, there's always the opportunity uh, for you to choose the service time. You know, maybe back in the day you only had one opportunity to show up and it was at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. But now you got two different choices. So if you're the kind of person that likes to get up and go to church in first service so you have the rest of your day to yourself, you've got that opportunity. If you're the kind of person that likes to sleep in a little late and make sure you have enough coffee before you greet the world, then you can come to the late service. So it's it's pretty easy to show up now, or it seems to me to be easier than it ever was. And even if this promise to support the church with your presence is extended beyond Sunday morning, like to Wednesday nights together or to the fall festival at Reeves Rogers this afternoon at 3.30, be there at 2 to help set up, um, even if it's to help with a Habitat for Humanity house that's being built or a trustee work day or disaster response needs that are in the community, you've still got so many opportunities to just show up. And so in many ways, it feels like this promise that we made to support the church with our presence might be the easiest one of all. And yet, as I've gotten older and a little wiser, I realize that maybe this ministry of presence thing, this promising to support their church with our presence is much more difficult than I ever realized it was before. Because supporting the church with our presence really can mean more than just being present. More than just showing I thought it was beautifully shown today in the children's sermon that Miss Nancy uh, did for us. She was present with the kids. She was not really truly present 
with the kids. And as I think about my ministry of presence, as you think about your ministry of presence, is that true for us as well? Sometimes it's easy to just show up. But are we really, truly, and fully present when we show up for God? This point's really been driven home to me lately by a new TV show that I've been watching. Now, for the first time in my life, when I moved to Murfreesboro, I decided to cut the cord, and so I don't have cable. I only get like three channels with my little antenna thing. You have to hang it in different places to get the different channels. You figure all that stuff out. But one of the channels I get is ABC. My, my options are therefore limited in what I can watch. But I've begun watching this new show called A Million Little Reasons. Is anybody here watching that show, A Million Little Reasons, with me? I've just really fallen for this show. It's about these four guys that got trapped in an elevator. They didn't know each other, but they were trapped in this elevator for a long, long period of time. And when you're trapped in an elevator and when you're waiting for somebody to get you out, what, do you, what else do you have to do except to just have conversation with people that you probably wouldn't have spoken to in the elevator otherwise? And so these four guys begin to have conversation in that elevator, and they realize that though they're really different in a lot of ways, the one thing that all four of them had in common is that they are all four fans of the Boston Bruins hockey team. And they decide after they've been in this elevator for a long, long time that when we get out, why don't we, because we've bonded in this moment, in this experience, why don't we just get season tickets to the Boston Bruins together? And we'll go to every home game, 82 a season. And so they do. And they begin to get to know each other better, and they spend a lot of time together. There's one guy in the four that they, everybody just gener- generally agrees is the happiest and got the best life out of any of them. His name is John. They all sort of look to him as the glue that holds the friends together. He's always saying these helpful things to them. But one day, John commits suicide. And the other three guys are left trying to make sense of what happened. One of the things they began to struggle with is we were always present together. But were we truly present together? Was there some sign or some signal or or, or some cry for help that perhaps we missed because we were present but because we were not Truly present. As is often the case when someone uh, takes their lives, uh, we begin to wonder, was it something that I did or something that I said or something that I didn't do or something that I didn't say that might have been a contributing factor to a person taking their life? And in one of the most poignant moments in this TV series, one of the guys says, um... No, there was no one thing that we said or did that led our friend to take his life. When someone takes their life, it's usually a million little reasons why it happens. 
And they were worried because they were present with him, but not truly present. I meant to say this in the early service, but I want to say it now that if there's anyone here this morning that is contemplating suicide. I hope you'll reach out and get help. The world will not be as wonderful a place without you in it. But sometimes we have to wrestle with um, are we being truly present? Are we being truly attentive to the needs of others? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be present, but not fully present. Whether it's in the lives of my family, whether it's in the lives of my friends, or whether it comes to my participation and my presence in the church. I'm reminded in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 25, we're told not to neglect coming together as the body of Christ, like some people do. Which says to me that ever since the first century, there have been people who've decided that I don't want to go to church this morning. I don't want to go to temple or synagogue. Uh, I'm just going to stay at home. Uh, I was reminded of this last week. We had a lot of visitors that came to worship with us last week. And I had an opportunity to meet many of them personally before or after the service. And uh, one of the visitors that was here said, well, you know, we've been we've been here in Murfreesboro a while, but but. We just have kind of gotten out of the habit of going to church. And uh, we felt like we needed to come back. And um, I said to them, well, it's about time. (laughs) No, I didn't say that. (laughs) You know what I said to them? I completely understand. Because before I came back into the local church to be your pastor, I had one of these conference office positions And so I didn't have a church that I was assigned to or that I had to get up like that opening illustration and be the pastor and go to church every Sunday. And I was amazed at how easily I could come up with excuses not to go. Wow, I listen to podcasts every morning on my 45-minute commute back and forth into the office, most of which are preaching podcasts. I read my Bible every morning. Uh, I'm sincere in my devotional life I don't really need to go to church and if it was raining you know the reason why Methodists sprinkle is because we're afraid of rain when it rains the Methodists will just roll over and go right back to sleep I'm not going to church today I'll go next week or the temperature changes or the Titans have an 830 game in London or we're playing sports or any number of reasons And I found out that I could miss three out of every four Sundays while I had that cushy office job. And I'd gotten to the point where I didn't even feel any guilt about it. But eventually God sort of gets your attention and you realize that showing up is important. If not for you, it might be important for the person sitting next to you. It might be something you say. It might be a glance that you give that ends up being the work of the Lord 
touching and penetrating the heart of someone who desperately needs it. Who's struggling to make sense of life in the world. It's so important to show up. I was reminded of this this week in a powerful way by my mother. Uh, You all know that my mother's been in the nursing home for over a month. And um, I find it really hard when I get some free time to want to be motivated to get in my car, drive an hour and a half Pulaski to go walk into this small nursing home room that she shares with another woman. And you're just right up on top of each other in the room and listen to my mother complain about how awful the nursing home food is, about how somebody's been rummaging through her things, about how that she's hurting from her therapy, about how she wants to go home. I could listen to all that on the phone. And the good thing about listening to it on the phone is I can also be checking emails or reading what's happening with the Ole Miss football team or writing a note. I can be present, but not fully present. But when I walked into my mother's room on Friday, there was a smile on her face. And there was joy in her heart that I'm convinced was not there in all of those phone calls that I've made to her. It's important to show up. Well, there's power in your presence. There's an investment when we give our time and resources. And believe it or not, I'm actually going to talk about the scripture now. You're saying, yeah, it's about time. One of the scriptures that I thought about using this morning was John chapter 1. John chapter 1 was that big powerful, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What that scripture is basically saying that Jesus is the Word, and that Jesus has always been with God. Fully present with God. And present with us. But then Jesus decided to be even more present with humanity. Fully present. And so he took human form. And he was born in a manger. And he lived and dwelt and served among us. So that we would more fully understand and glimpse the character of God. Jesus has always been present. But in coming to earth to be with us. He was more fully present. And then I decided to use the text of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you've probably heard preached up one side and down the other, all different sorts of ways. At its core, it's a story about a man who was on his way to Jericho. He was overtaken by thieves and robbers. They beat him and they left him for dead on the side of the road. There were three people who saw him on the side of the road, two of them religious professionals, clergy types like us that are up here. And they found a reason to cross the street, go to the other side, and to keep on going. And then there was a Samaritan man 
Samaritans were absolutely despised by Jewish people in this particular day. No one would have thought that this was going to be the hero of the story. Everyone would have thought this person was going to be the villain of the story as Jesus was telling it. And yet the Samaritan went to the man and helped him. Now all three of those men, the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, were present with that man on the side of the road that day. But only one of them was fully present. Only one of them embodied what we would see and understand as the love and the grace and the mercy of our Savior, the incarnation of God, the God in human flesh. And that was the Samaritan. He was fully present. So the invitation that I have for you this morning, I want to remind you, first of all, that Christ is in you. Every single one of you. Christ is in you. And you are in Christ. And that means that you embody the presence of Christ. And we need each other to be that incarnational presence, that full and true presence of Jesus. And so I invite you this morning to think about your promise to be present.